Welcome to the Lead to Like a Boss podcast. I'm George Chirpolitis, your host, and I have got a special guest for you today, Jamie Benezri from Legal Logic. And uh, we're going to break it down with him and he's going to explain to you a little bit about what makes him special and what makes his firm special. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I don't, I don't feel particularly special, but, uh, <laughs> but I appreciate those words. All the great ones say that. So it's all good, man. It's all good. So Jamie, you and I have known each other for quite a while and uh, you've been involved in all kinds of amazing things uh, from startups to, you know, your firm. I wanted the folks to get to know you better. What makes you tick? What makes legal logic tick? So I'm going to jump right in and ask the obvious question. What made you want to become a lawyer? Why, why did, what inspired you? You know, I think for me, the, it's, it's, it, it's funny because I, you know, it's, I never had uh, in my yearbook. It never in high school. It never said most likely to become a lawyer. Uh, by nature, I'm actually pretty non-confrontational. Um, I'm perfectly fine with other people winning an argument if it makes sense to me. Uh, I don't need to get the last word in. So it's funny that nothing really about me, my upbringing, or my personality screams you're going to be a lawyer. Um, it was more out of curiosity and kind of one of my curse is that I'm interested in, in a lot of different things and I have a lot of interests. And I see that, that it's a curse because it was hard for me to pinpoint what I wanted to do in life. And it still is. I still, you know, I still quit that I, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Um, so law for me was a way to delay going into the workforce and, you know, to keep dabbling in things that I thought I wanted to do. You know, I was the kind of student that took student loans and invested in real estate. And I would buy flare jeans when they were in, in the nineties and sell them door to door. And I was, the, I was the kid that had the lemonade stand on the street. You're a total um, entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. And, you know, I think I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I think what makes, makes me more uh, entrepreneurial is uh, the human interaction of kind of uh, customer service speaking with clients and then, and, and, you know, having that satisfaction in a, in a relationship. And um, for me, it was never a, a question of how do I get rich as quickly as possible for me? It was always a function of money will follow um, at a certain point. Yeah, you got to earn. But for me, it was always a question of what's going to make me happy and what do I identify most with? And so for me, law was really an opportunity. It was a platform that I could use to delay me doing what I want to do until I grow up and um, I'm getting pretty close to knowing what I want to do but um, it's been it's been fun the ride's been nice and so creating a law firm for me was almost um, an automatic response to big law firms not really knowing uh, what to do with me and kind of where I fit into their structure because I was a little different than their 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 average uh, uh, or above average applicant. So for me, legal logic was a function of me being a little different than most lawyers out there, uh, having wanting to do law a little differently. And um, because I never found a group or a community that reflected what I wanted to do in law, I just basically created my own banner. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that in a, in a, in a second. I remember uh, meeting your dad a while back and I got the impression from you that your, you know, your parents were very supportive of you because I mean, you know, hanging out in school, you know, for years, waiting to figure out what you were going to do, uh, took a lot of support. I, I imagine you got a lot of support from them in, in your journey. I, I got, I think, look, I mean, I, I, 
my parents um, uh, have had their highs and lows. My dad was an entrepreneur. His companies were, you know, were up and down and sideways until finally things stabilized. Um, my mom, my parents were always supportive uh, in everything that I did. Less financially, more I think uh, emotionally. Mm. Um, so, which is was, important. Yeah, which is important. I mean, I always had their support. I mean, I was always taken care of. But I mean, I I, I didn't. I never relied on their goodwill um, to support me until I figured out what I wanted to do. And so, I, I yeah, I you were working. selling jeans. I was selling jeans, and so they're like, yeah, he'll figure it out. And I did. You know, I was. I've had a job since I was 16, uh, 14. I was washing dishes. I was a, a greeter at the Gap. I was stocking shelves at Toys R Us, <laughs> and I was wait. I was waiting tables. And I was a manager of restaurants until I started being a lawyer, right? So I was, I finished McGill and then I went to Sherbrook Law. My girlfriend at the time, my wife now was studying in Quebec City. I was in Sherbrooke. So wow. I was literally doing Quebec City, Sherbrooke and coming back to Montreal on weekends to work um, and, and doing this kind of this trifecta until I, I started practicing as a lawyer. The total hustle. Okay, was, so was hustle, yeah. I, I get from what you said earlier that your entrepreneurial nature probably wouldn't fit well in a traditional law firm. So that makes a lot of sense. Talk to us about some of the challenges you faced creating the firm, especially creating the firm that you wanted to create. You know, you're bucking trends and uh, how did what, what were some of the challenges you faced uh, from the point of view of like how do we help our audience yeah to overcome their challenges i think uh, i made a lot of mistakes mm. and so i think that i really started getting it years in because the first you know first of all it, it's an industry that's entirely reputation based and so how do I, how does a newcomer compete and convince clients that I know what I'm doing mm. and that they should stay with me when you've got people who've been seasoned for 10, 20, 30 years who have earned the reputation and who kind of deserve their business. So it's a lot of, it's part faking it until you make it um, and, and just doing everything you can to, to, to have a results-based a results -based reputation. And that's kind of what we did for years. We did pro bono talks. I was involved in every community. I was out there, you know, I slashed my fees. I was out there um, touting the benefits of fixed fee-based um, um, service offerings, you know, in law. So That probably didn't make you too popular. It didn't make me popular at all, right? So a lot of people, you know, what happened was that when somebody was considering a lawyer, they'd say, okay, well, I met Jamie Benistri, he seems like a, a good enough guy. And then, you, you know, a guy 10 years my senior, you know, would start talking shit about me. Oh, he's young, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's too innovative. Uh, it's not gonna last. He's not gonna last. Don't go with it. So I was, I, it was a lot of that, right? A lot of cannibalism in my industry, um, unfortunately, but, you know, you, you stay the course and it, when you when you when you hit that drum for so long and you prove yourself, it's 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 you know, it's um, it's a it's it's great to have that um, that that sweet revenge to say, look, I, I'm not going anywhere. I'm yeah. doubling down. I'm putting my name on the building. Um, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. And 
making sure that I can I can survive through uh, through different recessions and different times and that I've been through already. And so I think the the best you know the best the best advice I can give people is think twice before doing that because it's not for everybody. Mm. You know, I, I I've gone through so many highs and lows. I've had 50 people in my office. Uh, underemployment and contract, and I, you know, and we've stabilized now at around 15. So I've gone through a lot of highs and lows. You know, the media has kind of eaten me alive certain times when, when, when a lot of people left my office. But you're really out there, so you're I'm really out there. Target. So I'm a pro, I'm a prime target, exactly. Um, but it's not, it's not for everybody, right? You, people no. really have to think twice about um, starting out on their own because it's sometimes it's not necessary. I, I could have saved myself. I could have made a lot more money. I could have saved myself a lot of stress. I could have salvaged a lot of a lot of relationships that I lost because of the position, because of the high stakes, all in position that I put myself in. So we're talking. Uh, we're talking now about grit, right? I mean, this is what we're really talking about. You know, that it's that word that's so easy to say. Yeah. But it really is everything you just finished saying and people need to understand and not take it for granted. If you're wanting to become an entrepreneur because you want to drive a flashy car and have a, an easy lifestyle and, and, and punch a clock whenever you feel like it, then you're barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it, right? That's, and, and then unfortunately, I've stepped, um, I, I take, I've taken a very hard look at the entrepreneurial uh, startup ecosystem in Montreal and abroad and in Canada. And um, I, 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 can't, I, I have a hard time being in, in the same circles that I once was in because I find that we are, we're, you know, we, glam, we, we glamorize the wrong things. Yeah. And everybody wears this grit and hustle badge for the wrong reasons, right? It's, it's almost like this toxic culture of people who refuse to clock out at five o'clock because they need to show people that they're working till eight, nine, ten, and that they're taking an Instagram picture showing that they're the last ones clocked out. There's really no glory, and no. it's a thankless badge to wear. Yeah. So I tell people, like, first of all, why do you want to become a lawyer? Second of all, why do you want, or why do you want to start this business? What's going to differentiate you? Why don't you? You've got a cushy, good thing. You've got healthy relationships. You've got a great, supportive wife. You've got these kids. You know. What's, what's pushing you to get more and more and more and more and have this badge of independence, right? And some people have that naturally. You know, for example, I mean, if to be honest, if, if a larger, bigger outfit had accepted Jamie Benizri as being this outlier lawyer at the beginning, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. I would have been happy yeah. being yeah. part of a larger family having an accounting department that could take care of me, a marketing department that would have put me out there on a much more uh, uh, a lower volume that, that, that I needed a, a to be A cushy war budget. Oh man, I would have been happy. I probably <laughs> would have been happy to do that. But nobody accepted me. Yeah. Nobody wanted me. And so I was kind of forced to do it. And so that's what I would tell people. Why, you know, why are you doing this? You know, do you have any options? You know, look at, you know, our immigrant friends that come here who have no yeah. options. Yeah, it's funny. I, I I remember reading something um, uh, along the same lines, and and the the author was saying, so imagine you're you're deep underwater. Let's say you 
dove off a diving board and you're really deep underwater and you're getting to that point where you're struggling to get to the top of the water and you know it's right there you can see the sunlight you know at the edge of the water and that desire to break through and get that gasp of air right if you don't have that feeling about being an entrepreneur you're in the wrong business like you oh, should yeah. think again so a hundred percent and you know it's it, it's it's you painted a really good picture there you know the, the gasping for air and uh you've probably seen there's there's a great uh picture that you'll see in offices sometimes where there's the tip of the iceberg and it's mm -hmm. cut off about here and you only see the tip and you see all all the work <laughs> that it's supporting on the failure the sweat the oh, all those yeah. tears of oh, hustle yeah. that you have to go through yeah. and um that's all people see and unfortunately unless you throw yourself in the ring you'll never know what you're made of you'll never know if you, if you can succeed uh, but before doing all of that unless you're a daredevil uh, or unless it's necessary or unless this you feel this is your calling and you cannot sleep at night knowing that you're working for someone or you, you if know, you're you, miserable if you're miserable working where you're working and you know you could do it better um, then that's a good sign that you you need to do something different right that's a good sign for self, you know, for fulfillment purposes and for happiness. Those are all completely legitimate reasons, I think. Yeah. Um, but not for the, you know, it's, it's hard. It, you have to really consciously have that pros and cons list as to why you're doing this, because it's just, it's not worth it all the time. And it shouldn't be because you've watched a motivational video online, <laughs> you know, from, you know, you know, certain people who, who are out there. And we won't and, name you know, those people. We won't name them. No, we, we know a lot of them. And look, there's a market for that. And, and, and I'm not going to take it away from them. Some people need to hear that final push to go out there. Yeah. But don't start with that. Start no. somewhere else. You know, make your mistakes on someone else's dime. You know, yeah. I was a lawyer for two years learning the lingo. And I was nowhere near ready to start my own law firm. You know, I, I'm not a financial guy by nature. I ignored all healthy financial metrics known to all generally accepted accounting principles. Yeah, you're one of those guys who jumps out of the plane and builds the parachute on the way down. Man, I wish I was more disciplined on the financial front. I was, I literally had a budget, <clears throat> a marketing and uh, a marketing budget and a, sa a salary budget that should have been reserved for a top tier law firm downtown Toronto on Bay Street. I mean, no, it made complete no sense. Yeah. And so when my CFO finally came in, when I, when I gave him the keys to my office saying, I can't do this shit anymore. He's looking <laughs> at me saying like, he thought, and we laugh about it to this day when he took over four years ago, five years ago at this point, he thought he told, he went home and he told his wife that he was not going to have a job in a month because my, my metrics. The burn rate issue, was so high. He was, he told himself, look, I took this job and he regretted it. He said, <laughs> and we turned things around Well, you know, I, uh, we made conscious decisions. We, we to, to, to really, uh, to turn the ship around. And so that's um, interesting because one of the things we talk about, so boss, as everybody knows, stands for bravery, optimism, security, and sustainability. So being a real leader, you have to address all of those categories. Otherwise you're, you're out. So you got, you got the bravery thing down pat, you got the optimism down pat, but you had to work on the security and the sustainability, right? You had to secure your payroll, you had to secure your finances, and you had to figure out a way how to make it sustainable. And it sounds like you did, and you did it through outsourcing, right? You got the right people on board.
that could complement you um, and, and make up for the areas where you weren't as strong. Absolutely, absolutely. That, that's great. I love that acronym. I think it applies whole, I, I can express that wholeheartedly. I think, um, you know, there's an adage um, in the startup world, I think Peter Thiel coined it, where he said, you know, fail, fail fast. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's zero or, or getting to zero or zero. It's a great book where, you know, he explains, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm the kind of guy where I'll create a business and <clears throat> my copy, my text and my site won't be perfect, but I'm, I'm pushing for it to be published by 8 a.m. tomorrow because it's never going to be perfect and you don't no. know how people are going to react to it. And, you know, I think it, there's a, there's validity in doing something, um, fail fine if you fail you're going to fail but fix yourself and adjust and identify your weaknesses and complement your weaknesses failure is an opportunity to learn it is it's a great opportunity to learn so i mean and I you got to do it carefully right you got to do it in experiments you got to do it in pilot projects you can't put all the chips in on on an experiment you've got to do it you know with sustainability and security in mind but you have to do it like if, if you if you don't have an r d budget for whatever business you're in to try new things, eventually someone's going to disrupt you or someone's going to eat your lunch. It's yes, just sir. the way of the world. Yes, sir. Somebody's going to eat your lunch. And that's why I think, you know, not being scared to, to, you know, there was a lot of talk of pivots and I was myself was interviewing, I had a little podcast, uh, entrepreneurs in quarantine at the beginning of uh, COVID where people were talking about pivoting people who were sitting home for months, try, trying to figure out what to do with their inventory or their restaurant or, <clears throat> and people were pivoting to try to find some sort of a sustainable path for the next couple of years or for the permanently. And it was interesting where people were in this mindset of, okay, the world has changed. You know, it seems like we've, we've forgotten a lot about a lot of the lessons that we thought we learned in COVID. And, and that's a testament to human nature is that we don't really, we don't people really learn all that snap much. Back. Yeah. We don't really learn all that much. And it's funny because I, I, the only person that learned that lesson, and I will send you that episode. I will only interview business people and tax guys and tax lawyers, all these people that were learning and trying to find ways to learn from COVID. The only person who, who to this day had the best advice or the most kind of aha moment for me was a rabbi. Oh yeah. Who I, who I, who I, uh, who I interviewed. And I said, rabbi, what are we going to learn from all of this? And he said, he stopped, he paused, and he said, absolutely nothing. Because human nature is such that we are, <laughs> we are short-sighted and we will forget about everything that we are talking about today. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. And this is why women can give birth year after year is because they forget the excruciating pain yeah. that they go through and it's replaced by happy moments. And, you know, we're talking to each other on Zoom out of convenience. Not, you know, we could easily be together today. Absolutely. It's just convenient. Yeah. But... You know, we, we are very short-sighted. And so if we look back at the things that we learned during COVID and pivoting and sustainability and, and human flexibility, um, sustainability is something that's, that, that's so uh, overrated and underlooked because we forget that, you know, sustainability and having a healthy, healthy business with a sustainable, you know, business model and not just glitz and glam and built on Lamborghinis and Instagram profiles those are the guys that are going to win the race. So in essence, it took me 10 years um, 
12 at this point to become an overnight success <laughs> and, yeah. and however you want to define success. And I don't think it's, uh, has anything to do with, you know, finance, uh, you know, my ability to sustain myself financially, but for me to build a reputation and a little bit of a different business model and an entrepreneurial spirit in the legal profession, it literally took 12 years, um, to become an overnight hit. Yeah. And so, so true. One of the things that uh, we like to focus on is the idea that the only way to overcome uh, what your rabbi friend was telling you, uh, you know, um, is the the constant habit of looking at where you've come from, where how far you've come. Uh, one of my uh, heroes, Dan Sullivan, a great coach, uh, he talks about you know measuring the the gain and not the gap. Right. Talks about, you know, rather than measuring yourself against this ideal somewhere in the future or somebody else that's far more ahead than you are, look at where you were last year. Look at where you were two years ago and, and measure how far you've come. And that's a good way to fight off that tendency to forget the lessons of the past. That's a great, that's a great, great um, piece of advice. I think a lot of a lot of us also uh, are comparing ourselves to the wrong people, uh, socially, uh, aesthetically, uh, oh, in, yeah. in every in every which way. We're, we don't compare ourselves to the right people, and I think you're right. We don't compare ourselves to ourselves to our, the benchmark that we've set in a trailing 12 month, 24 month period. Uh, whether it's a civil year, fiscally, uh, how many clients you've acquired, your health, your relationships. So what do we do? We go on Instagram, on LinkedIn. We see all of the people posting. Oh yeah. I've got a new job. I've landed a new client. I've got a new boat. I'm at this fancy then, restaurant. I'm yeah. doing this. I'm doing that. And then and then we and then we feel like shit. Yeah. We feel yeah. like shit because we feel like we 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 haven't measured up to that level. Yep. Um, and we don't have all the facts. I mean, the reality is that the guy who just bought the boat, um, you know, he, he lost all of his family because he's been working. You know. For the past five years uh, without any um you know without spending time with his family we don't look at you know how much he's had to finance and leverage himself we see the new home but we don't take into consideration that their mortgage payments have just gone up by a thousand dollars a month and they're going to lose it in six months we don't we, we you know we, that's the we sustainability that. that's the that's sustainability. sustainability right yeah absolutely. and so that's why to a certain degree i've withdrawn from uh, withdrawn from social media quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, you were you were you were banging it really hard at one point. I mean, you I was. Were all I, had, over I, had, it. I had a lot to say. I had a lot to prove, and um, I was scared of losing the top of mind that mm. I had with a lot of clients. Right, and so I was. I I, I kind of went. I, I was a very hawk, hockey stick, uh, meteoric rise uh, that I was just pushing content out all the time. I didn't want to lose. I was scared of losing top of mind. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, what happened is, you know, at the height of uh, the beginning of COVID is that I just, I became very busy. Um, I became very client centric. I, I didn't have time anymore to put on a suit to match my tie with my pockets. <laughs> um, and, you know, the craziest thing, the more dressed down I got, the less I shaved, um, the more informal I became, the more I focused on um, the, the existing relationships I had with clients. Bingo. You know, you, I didn't need to stuff my pipeline anymore. I didn't need to validate myself um, with kind of a shiny front with, you know, a lot of, you know, of clients that I needed to prove to myself that I had the loudest voice or I had the largest following 
Um, I just needed to take care of my clients and, and build quality over quantity, right? And if you look, it's, and it's, and you know, the, the, the more I dressed down, the more clients I got, the less I was, less visible I was, the more attractive I became um, to a lot of clients. Um, people funny. don't forget you. No, it's funny. That reminds me of that quote that I really love from uh, Lao Tzu uh, that says that he who, he who speaks does not know and he who does not speak knows. Right. The, the, yeah, the person great. that's barking the loudest is usually the one that's got the least amount of value. And the one that's the quietest is probably the one you should probably get to know. Yeah. 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 I, <laughs> I think that there's a, uh, there's somewhere in the middle, but yeah, I think that the, the problem with social media became, um, a lack of focus, um, or, you know, hurried content, um, always trying to find the next pet, you know, best piece of content. And I look, I, I'm not going to, you know, social media, I think it's fantastic. It, it gives everybody a platform, but I think it needs to be used wisely. And I think most people don't know how to use it. You know what? And we you, could probably have a whole other podcast yeah. just on, on your journey through social media. And, and I think yeah. that would be a lot of value for a lot of young entrepreneurs because I think they've bought into that myth that if they have enough likes and if they're popular enough on Instagram or wherever else is happening these days, um, that that they they will succeed. And and we all know that that's not the case. It's the icing on the cake. But if the cake itself is crap, it's not going to work. Yes, sir. I, I, it's funny. I tell people when my when my CFO came in, he said, well, what are you spending all this money and time and budgets on content and campaigns and this and that? He's like, what's your ROI on this stuff? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? People see it and they like it and I get clients. He's like, but how do you track that? I'm like, I don't know. People just How do you come. connect the dots, right? Yeah. And I'm like, fuck, he's right. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, when I look at all the relationships that I have and all the clients that I serve, you know, all my best clients. They didn't um, come in through Instagram. Not one client came from <laughs> these goddamn platforms. Not one. I love it. You know, and, I, and, and yeah, the one-offs show up and I serve them and da-da-da and make a couple of bucks here and there. But I mean, I look at all my clients. These are people that I I knew before I had social media accounts. These are the these are the referrals that come from those foundational uh -huh. relationships from ten yep. years ago. The yep. word of mouth, people that I've shaken hands with, uh, that I've that I've met in person. That you know, all the yep. offline networking and relationship building, the stuff that our grandparents were doing. Absolutely. The stuff, that your, the stuff that your pops was doing in Jamaica. Absolutely. You know, back in the day, right? Absolutely. <laughs> no one, okay. no, no, no relationships from online. You got to be careful. Okay. So um, I want to talk about what's coming next for you. So you've, you sounds to me like you've had this transformation. It sounds to me like you've really stabilized your business and you're really offering major value. What's the next step for Legal Logic and Jamie Benezra? Yeah, really good question. My next step is, um, I want to be I want to be that boutique law firm. I want to be the law firm that not only serves uh, my core clients that have come along with me for this journey, but that are also going to serve my own business interests. Things that things that get me excited as an entrepreneur. Things that are complementary to my law firm. So the next step is going to be to. Um, keep what's core, keep what I've built that's really good over the last 12 years and just, you know, um, rid myself of the fuselages that have just kind of expired, that have served their purpose over the last 10 years, right? And so, 
you know, I've had to, you know, I thought I was going to be a boutique M&A law firm and we become a boutique, you know, litigation law firm, you know, with some entrepreneurial, you know, M&A, small, smaller M&A kind of stuff. And we've had to pay the bills over the last 10 years. Right. And so that required that required us to do a lot of different things um, to keep our lights on and to mm. keep our staff occupied. And so as we become part of the um, kind of part of the furniture of kind of the legal landscape of, uh, you know, in Montreal and Quebec and in Canada, I'm much more confident to say, I'm not doing any of this anymore. Okay. I'm not doing, I'm not doing any of these things that so we've you, done. So you're focusing. I want to do things that we are the best in. Okay. And, you know, it takes a long time for, and a lot of courage for, uh, for any business to say, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not serving that market. I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. Um, and to have the confidence to say that. And I think once you're able to have the confidence to say that and the core to back it up, I think that is the most empowering and explosive mix that, that any business level can get to. That's how you scale up and get the reputation um, for the next, you know, for the next 10 years. And so that's what I'm really excited to do is I'm really excited to be able to say no. Yeah. It's funny when you said more. that. When you said that, it, it brought to mind uh, the famous quote from Steve Jobs. He said, the reason why Apple is successful is because of all the projects we said no to. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and you're yeah. right. It takes a lot of bravery to be able to say no to, to good money, good, good, good clients who have good money. That's uh, right. And to say like, yeah, great. That's you know right. what? It's not for us. I can refer you to someone who's great at that. Uh, but uh, it's not for us. It's not. It's our... Yeah, it's hugely empowering. So I think the next five years for the next five years, my plan is to say no a lot more. <laughs> well, I hope you don't say no the next time I offer you to be on the podcast, because I really want to talk a little bit more about the, the social media journey, yeah. some of the pitfalls of social media and how we can help our viewers and listeners to avoid some of those pitfalls and, and work on their core. So this has been fabulous, Jamie. Thank you so much for taking the time. And, Great talk, uh, man. This is this is therapeutic for me. So thank you. I appreciate and that. And we're going to do this informally over beer very, very soon. I'm ready for you, brother. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great day, bud.